This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And once in a while, when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. But before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners are supporting the podcast via Patreon. If you would like to join them, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Great. And Bela, thanks. Uh, great to see you. And thanks to our supporters. It's uh, really important to us. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm looking out my window here and it's a cold and clammy day here in December here in, in Germany. And I think it's even colder in parts of the, of the U.S. right now. Um, but I'm kind of excited that maybe some conversation about sailing can help warm us up a little bit. So fill me in. Who's our guest today, Bela? Today we have a repeat guest, uh, Carter Yepsen. Uh, he was a guest on episode 28 uh, back in May of 2021. And uh, it was he was getting ready to do the, his first charter with his wife. And so the podcast sort of focused on how can I make this first sailing experience for my wife a positive one? And I remember um, we sort of did a follow-up uh, as part of that. And, you know, he said that after, um, after that first charter experience, they were already planning their next one. Well, the planning the next one turned into just buying a boat. <laughs> so... Carter dove in uh, headfirst into the sailing pond, so to speak, uh, him and his wife. And uh, so they did one charter. I think they actually did another one. And then they ended up buying a boat. So this podcast is sort of uh, Carter's experience, his first year experience of sailing the boat uh, all around the East Coast or the Northeast of the United States. Yeah, I remember Carter, and I'm interested to hear kind of this whole part of the story because it was a really fascinating um, episode back in 2021. So let's get right to our interview with Carter Yepsen. Hey, Carter, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good morning, Bela. 
Yeah, nice to see you again. So last time you were on the podcast, if I read my notes correctly, was on episode 28 uh, back in May of 2021. So a couple of years ago. And at that time, you had just gotten back from the BVI from the first charter experience you and your wife had together. You had chartered many times before. You're a longtime sailor. But this was sort of the first time uh, you and Kerry, your your wife, went out on a charter down to BVI. And, and that episode is sort of all about that experience. And yeah. I remember the way you closed that episode was you were planning your next charter down in Florida. And here it is. Uh, two over two years later and you now have a boat <laughs> right so chartering yeah. turned into buying a boat and yeah. i know this past summer you sailed all around uh narragansett bay buzzards bay long island sound and up to hudson river to lake champlain so that's sort of the stuff i want to talk about so great first first just sort of tell me how you got from chartering to, okay, we're going to buy a boat. Yeah. Well, so that was sort of in, in the back of my mind all along. You know, um, if everything, you know, worked out and went according to plan. I'd grown up sailing and cruising on Long Island Sound. So it, would, it was sort of in my retirement plan. Um, so just to make sure that uh, it was the right plan, I started taking the ASA classes, you know, up through ASA, uh, American Sailing Association 104 and 105. And, and and you know spent a little bit more time on good sized boats. This was up in Lake Champlain, mm -hmm. and that all you know felt good. So then, uh, uh, as retirement plans fell into place, we sold the family home and downsized a, a house. And you know part of the uh, the get well plan <laughs> was the, to buy a small house and and, and balance it out with a sailboat. So in the fall of uh, 2022, we started looking at sailboats. And um, you know, that was a, a great experience, a great learning experience. Um, and then in uh, around November, uh, came across a boat that you know, was not on the list of the types of sailboats I was looking at and fell in love <laughs> and bought the boat and uh, you know spent a good part of last winter getting the boat ready to go it was a much older boat than we were looking at uh, didn't need anything major but just needed a lot of little minor tweaks that the survey uncovered and it was down in mystic connecticut about four hours from where uh, where we live so uh, when i wasn't skiing um, up at gore mountain i would be uh, down there uh, at mystic you know working on the boat um, Doing a little a long a long laundry list of things to get it ready. So. Excellent. So, uh, what what boat did you end up buying? We bought um, a 1988 Saber, 38 Mark II. Okay, so. excellent. So, tell us a little bit about the boat. Uh, draft uh, layout. Yeah, inside. it's a real sailing. It's a sailing machine. It's got a, a fin keel. Draws six six. Um, it has a. Uh, a nice complement of sails. The boat is in very, very good shape, taken care of at the Mystic Shipyard for 20 years. And uh, so every year they would pull it and take the mast down. All the rigging and uh, standing and running rigging was in great shape, good sails. It has a leisure feel, furl boom. So it's pretty well set up for single handing, which is part of my plan as well. Um, it's been, it has a big diesel, been repowered. 
And uh, what I did is upgraded or updated some of the electronics. I put AIS in it after listening to your podcast. It took some of your advice. Um, yeah, and uh, just well, basically the survey uncovered things that you you might find in an older boat. So I went through and started replacing all the hose clamps, a couple of the hoses, uh, a couple of ele electrical items on the boat just needed updating and refreshing. But uh, the plan was on on May first uh, that the, the the boat was the boat was launched before May back in the water splashed before May first. But I went down on May first. I'd hired a captain for five days who I'd met up on Lake Champlain and he came down, uh, squeezed me in between deliveries. He's a real working captain, uh, squeezed me in to spend five days with me, you know, setting the boat up and putting the sails on. And um, on my first couple days with my wife, Carrie, our first couple days sailing just to make sure everything you know, worked right. It's nice to have a, an experienced set of eyes, hands, ears, you yeah. know, uh, with you so we set off on uh on a real chilly may 3rd and i set off for nine weeks sailing wow wow so i think this notion of, of hiring a captain uh to take you for you know and, and help you set things up etc i think is a really good one and you sort of talked about that a little bit when you talked about your chartering experience where you were on a new boat or new to you certainly and you said you you had wish you had uh, hired yeah. a captain to go out with you for two or three hours just to sort yeah. of, you know, because reading the manuals and, and lifting up covers to look at things is one thing, but actually sailing the boat and yeah. and uh, actually knowing where all switches are and turning the switches and opening the valves, <laughs> exactly. and all right. that stuff is different. Uh, so that was that was really good. Okay, so you're so you left Mystic. Yep. And where where where'd you go? How was that for? How was that sort of <laughs> untying the lines on your boat and kind of sailing away from the dock? How was that feeling? Yeah, I, I wish I could say it felt great, uh, but I think I was uh, pretty tired because um, we'd worked hard, and I think I was overwhelmed and uh, sort of mentally exhausted. And of course, the you know the first day we we set out to sail thirty miles <laughs> when it's forty five degrees, and uh, so uh, I was tired, little yeah. little overwhelmed, honestly. I mean, I was ecstatic, but there were so many things going through my mind, and uh, you know, making you know, making lists of of things to do every day, as well as you know, things we discovered on the boat, little things that needed to be done. Yeah, I was I was overwhelmed for the first couple of days. Yeah. So how was that first day? How was the weather? How was the sailing experience, et cetera? Yeah, the, the weather, it was a beautiful day. Again, 45 degrees when we set out. So I was wearing a ski hat and, and glove, ski mittens and, and, and the like. But, um, you know, a, a bluebird day, blue skies, yeah. following winds and uh, yeah, just, just fabulous. And we sailed, yeah. we sailed out Mystic and headed east, went through the race. Uh, towards and the goal was Narragansett Bay. We wanted to get up into Narragansett Bay. We didn't make it too far. We were just it was tired. We were a little tired, and again, uh, our timing was dictated by the by the uh, current through the race. So we couldn't get going as early as we wanted. It would have been foolish. So we we pulled into Jamestown, which is tucked just you know just across from Newport, Rhode Island, and uh, and grabbed a mooring uh, around six o'clock that night. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I watched the moon come up and uh, it was it was fabulous 
Yeah. Now, for those folks who are not familiar with Long Island Sound, tell us what the race is and, and why timing is important. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the race is, yeah. If you sail Long Island Sound, you know what the race is. Um, there is, uh, you know, an area off of, you know, Mystic and Stonington be, between uh, the Connecticut shore and Long Island, which is a little further south where uh, it narrows and there's a big island right in the middle uh, of it and uh the all the current all the water that comes out of uh the atlantic wants to seek its way down long island sound but it has to go through this narrower area called the race and the currents can be um uh terrific <laughs> they can be uh easily four four knots or more um, and it's a little narrow, so I mean, you have to th sort of thread the needle just right. Um, you know, you, you can't make a mistake going through there. Uh, but if you time it right, you know, you can get speed over ground. Our speed over ground was nine, nine knots, and we weren't even trying. Yeah. So you can make really good time. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, that is a, like you said, everyone who sails Long Island Sound, uh, uh, Block Island Sound knows about the race. Uh, but for those folks, for those listeners who are not aware of that, it's, uh, it's one of those places where you got to think about the tidal currents. And, you know, it, it's interesting because in some parts of the East Coast, some parts of the world, tidal currents are fundamentally almost non-existent. <laughs> and, and so you don't even think about them. And I grew up sailing on a lake. We didn't have any tidal currents to worry about. And then all of a sudden, you got this other degree of complexity. Well, you don't want to go there, you know, today between these hours because the current's going to either push you or pull you in the wrong direction. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it's it's another one of those things you got to be aware of, and some places when you sail you don't think about those, but uh, other places you got to really pay attention. Yes, it it, it uh, was a big part of every day's planning process. Yeah, it's one thing to get the charts out, but yeah, the Eldridge guide. You know, I slept that slept with <laughs> that right by my pillow because <laughs> yeah, you'd read that every day. If you don't know what the Eldridge guide is, it's the guide to. Uh, tides and currents throughout the east coast yeah and and a lot of the new apps uh navionics uh, other apps give you the tidal currents uh at specific times so that there some of that stuff is built in since some of the modern uh, uh navigation apps so that's great so first night in uh jamestown which is a nice mooring field uh you can overlook sort of uh newport and and the bridge and stuff it's a beautiful place uh, <laughs> And so uh, I got to say, you know, uh, of the uh, through, throughout that Jamestown area off of Jamestown and there's several marinas there, there's probably I'm going to say 500 moorings and they were all five boats. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, pretty yeah, we realized it was a little early and, and we woke up the next day. It was 45 degrees, but the weather had changed and the wind was howling, um, you know, a, a north wind coming down Narragansett Bay and uh 20, 25 knots, gust to 30, spit and rain. Um, and so it, was, it wasn't It was as enjoyable on the second day. So <laughs> we we had a, just a, force, a reefed foresail and we were, you know, tacking uh, six knots up into the bay, cold, you know, but I was having more fun on that day. I think some of the pressure was off and the boat handled great, but you know, tacking under the under the big bridge there, um, you know, it was exciting. Yeah, 
Yeah. And if I remember correctly, uh, that, that mooring field at Jamestown uh, uh, boatyard is not super well protected from the north. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually what we did before we, we took off is uh, we practiced uh, um, picking up moorings for about uh, an hour before yeah. we sailed off. He said, yeah. he said th you know, this is as good a chance as ever for you to really get, really get to know the boat. And, you know, so that, that was real good practice. Yeah. Particularly when there's no other boats around, right? All no the other boats around, are there. Lots of moorings. <laughs> right. From, and, so, uh, yeah, nasty weather. Yeah. It was great. yeah so, if you, so if you miss, it's okay. No big deal. <laughs> Super. So where'd you go from there? Where'd you go from Jamestown? Um, you see, um, we went up to what's the uh, Wickford, Wickford, Not oh, Norway, yeah, okay. but Wickford, yep. And uh, that was the first time we ran aground. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I uh, uh... I did run across, uh, I'll be honest, five times on my trip, <laughs> but luckily Oops. none of them going fast, more than one knot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and this one was my fault. Uh, you know, there, it was on the, on the charts. I, I grew up sailing with paper charts and, you know, and, uh, and a, and a compass and binoculars. And so, uh, using the elect Navionics, I mean, there was a little X on the uh, uh, on the Navionics chart that I didn't click on, so I didn't know that there was a rock in the harbor. Yeah, we bumped it. I mean, nothing bad, but you know, we bumped it. Yeah, yeah. The zoom level is important in these uh, digital charts because yeah. stuff disappears <laughs> and then <laughs> right. magically reappears. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, uh, so that was great. We had a a, a nice a, a slip slip we pulled into so we were protected from the wind and practiced docking the boat and uh, that went went real well and it was great little great little towns um you know along uh, the shores of the narragansett bay so yeah um, well, jamestown is a beautiful little town it's a yeah. half hour walk from jamestown boatyard the moorings there and wickford is a, a really nice cute little town as well and a short walk from most marinas in in the bay there so that's really nice yeah yeah so we, we day sailed uh, around that area and then the following day we went back to jamestown and stayed uh and there wasn't much wind but it was real nice and sunny and just stayed at the mooring for two nights and then i had to, to sail back to mystic to drop carrie off my wife uh, where her car was so to time the current through the race, we had to leave 
uh, Jamestown safe harbor at around 5 30 a.m and you know to sail down to point judith then round the round the point and then make it to the race with the current again yeah so we sailed back to mystic stayed in another safe harbor marina so i i'm a i'm a member of safe harbor and willsboro bay up on lake champlain so it's a great deal to stay at safe harbor um, marinas and most of them had space during this time of year of course because they're just getting opened yeah yeah and uh so uh, Carrie, your spouse leaves, and yeah. now you're doing some solo, solo sailing for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, uh, the, the following morning, I left Brighton early for Block Island. That was my first big, you know, big sa solo sail, and um, you know, uh, left around six a.m. I think, and uh, pulled into Block Island around eleven a.m. So a great sail. Wow. Just, just wonderful. Um, you know, I didn't tack the whole way and I, I pull in and, you know, expect to find a, a mooring and I call the Harbor master and say, I'm sorry, the moorings aren't in yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So I, and, and there's, and the marinas were hardly open as well. So I ended up anchoring for a couple of days and then the wind came up and it was blowing 25 to 30 and um that's a that's a big anchorage in block island uh harbor there and uh so that wasn't a lot of fun um but a couple other boats came in after i i did so there are about five boats anchored in that whole big area but i i spent two nights there to wait for the wind to calm down yeah so tell me a little bit about solo sailing what do you do differently solo sailing uh <laughs> versus when you have crew on the boat yeah, um, a fair amount of planning up front. Uh, I have to have everything written down on a notepad that I'm going to need to know because I, I, don't, I really won't have time to go look up phone numbers. And so I have my my route all planned out and basically crib notes, a cheat sheet of where I'm going. I, plan, I, I pre prepare all my meals and the thermos of tea and snacks and everything like that. So, I, you know, because I plan that I'm going to be at the helm for six hours um yeah any, any extra clothes and stuff i have it all set out so i can grab it easily and then uh yeah i wear a harness and uh slip into jack lines religiously and if it's if it's windy i keep a, a radio and my and my phone in, on my person so if, if something did happen you know i can <laughs> I can I can call somebody. I can call yeah. somebody. I keep yeah. a knife on me if I need to cut myself loose. So I, I basically I equip myself um, very differently. Yeah. And it's a different mindset as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've done a, a, a little bit of solo sailing, not a lot. Um, but it, it's interesting you talk about a root sheet because I I have I have made I started making root sheets when we first start chartering. Because a lot of places where the charter boats were, yeah, I had to weave my way out of a channel or something, and and uh, you know when you're when you're steering the boat, like you said, you you can't get distracted. You got to know where you are, and I found those root sheets to be really really helpful. You know, I put buoy numbers on them, like what comes next, what the distance is, what the heading is, how long it should take me to get there, etc. And it and it's and it's a it's a quick reference. I just I just look at it and I go, okay, boom, I know where I am. And I know what's coming next. I know what's around the corner. 
And and the other piece is, even though you have an autopilot, I, I assume you have an autopilot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So do I. You still, it's particularly when you're close to shore and you're in Narragansett Bay, you really can't leave the helm for no. more than like 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you just, it, I mean, if you're if you're 10 miles offshore, you can go take a nap if you want. But <laughs> when, when you're close to shore and doing that near shore sailing, man, you can't leave the helm. It's busy. And, yeah. and at least I don't feel comfortable leaving the helm. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you got to have your meals prepared. You got to have all your clothes out. You got to kind of think through all of that stuff in advance. And I found the most important part of the solo sailing is the planning you do in advance and the preparation you do in advance. So that's great. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And I, even especially when I get to my destination, you know, what what buoys or marks am I looking for? What's my heading going to be? What right. radio channels I reach out to the harbor master on or right. other you know, sources of information? What time they close? <laughs> um, you know what what the harbor master's name is? What the back what the phone number is? If for some reason yeah. they don't answer the radio, because again it was early in the year, right. and a lot of times they're not sitting at their desk at this time of year. They're out and about doing things. Right. And, you know, people say, oh, I'll just look that information up on my phone. Well, you might not have cell service there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So writing all that stuff down in advance, I think, is really, really important. Well, that's great. So a couple of days in Block Island, and uh, then where'd you blaze off to? Then I sailed to Westport, Massachusetts. There are lots mm, of okay. Westports. Westport, Connecticut, yeah. Massachusetts. Uh, uh, New York, um, uh, Westport, uh, Mass, and uh, it's a great little harbor. Uh, sort of tricky to get into, long, a long channel, wicked currents, but some of the best oysters, and uh, th that's a real uh, beautiful beaches, uh, great harbor. Then from Westport, I sailed out to Cuddyhunk. So Cuddy Hunk is one of, you know, again, as a sailor's you know, bucket list place that when I was growing up, that's where my parents and I would sail to. I hadn't been back in 40 some years, so it was nice to get back. I have a, I was just looking through pictures last night and uh, the picture I took of Cuddy Hunk Harbor from up on the hill, my boat was the only boat on a mooring in Cuddy Hunk Harbor. And if people don't know Cuddy Hunk Harbor, it, it fills on a weekend, it fills up by 10 a.m. You know, you, you can't get a spot. People raft. So it was pretty unusual to, to have the place to myself. And the legendary Cuddy Hunk Raw Bar was open for all of one hour from 4.30 to 5.30. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I had a one, uh, just, just one night in Cuddy Hunk and then left Cuddy Hunk and sailed up to Padanarum up in Buzzards Bay and spent a week bopping around Buzzards Bay and uh, just... Uh, iconic harbors um up along and buzzards bay with just beautiful boats and every every boat's beautiful but uh, in buzzards bay so some of these harbors they're 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 pretty special lots of old concordia yawls and and the like so yeah it it really is uh new england is is really a a a place to explore that has a lot of character and and each each little harbor sort of has its own personality uh, and character and sort of neat things about it. Yeah. yeah. And so I started up on Buzzards Bay. I was staying at yacht clubs. 
you know, you could get a mooring at one of these uh, iconic yacht clubs for not a lot of money. And uh, you get to use the club's facilities. And, and, and that was kind of nice. Yeah. I, I felt I, I felt uh, pretty special <laughs> being able to do that. Yeah. You didn't happen to go into Marion Yacht Club, did you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great place that is. Nice little town. And uh, uh, yeah, gorgeous town. I, yeah. I hit Marion on the way north as, uh, as well as a month later on the way south. Yeah. Yeah, that is a that's a that's a great place. People, we've stayed there. People are really friendly, uh, and uh, just a just a nice nice place. So on on weekends in the end of May, you know, fast forwarding a couple of weeks, Buzzards Bay started to get pretty busy. Mm. You know, um, and it had a very different vibe than Narragansett Bay. Um, it's wavier for whatever reason, or it just seemed like it was. Uh, a little tougher sailing um, and a lot of power boats, a lot of fishing boats, um, a lot of uh, charter fishing boats, as well as you have the traffic coming up and down the canal, the Cape Cod Canal. So you had to really be on your toes, or I had to be on my toes in Buzzards Bay. Yeah, and you're still solo, right? And, and you're still solo. I'm still, yeah, I'm still solo. Carrie would come down from a, for a, a weekend every other weekend, and uh, we might sail a little bit, or we'd just take advantage of staying on the boat and we'd have a rest day. One thing I'll bring up is that I found I needed a rest day after every three or four days, um, or after just a real hard day. I had a couple days where the wind was really howling, and I'm you know standing for five, six hours at, at the helm. Um, and just you know doing everything by yourself um i i just found that i needed a, a down day <laughs> yeah to recoup mentally and physically so yeah uh, let me ask you a question did did anything anything break any any sort of you know minor oh crap moments <laughs> yeah no, nothing major at all uh you know as, as part of my daily routine i would go around and you know looking on all the in the bilge under all the hatches and take the, the cover off the engine and poke around so uh one time i did see a little oil little grease spray in the engine compartment so the the there's a rubber boot that goes over the universal joint that had slipped off um so i had to slip it back on and i couldn't find the right type of uh clamp so i had to use a stainless steel clamp but you know to do that right you know, it took an hour or two. I'm glad I caught it when I did. So that was something that you know, slowed me down. Um, cleaning the 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 seawater strainer that provides the you know, the cool water for the engine. Uh, I was uh, trying to unscrew a drain uh, a plastic drain plug, and it snapped off in my hand halfway out. Mm. So um, it happened to I think that happened on Memorial Day weekend. And trying to find a part in, you know, in a small town, uh, basically it was sort of non-started or when you, the marinas weren't open to, to call anybody. So I, I sort of jury rigged it you know, using some other types of parts. Uh, basically, I found the, the, the screw was the same type of uh, uh, thread threading that my hatches use for a little locking nut. And so after two hours of you know, gnashing my teeth and problem solving, uh, you know, put it back together. And it's, it's still like that today. 
Yeah. So those yeah. are the those are the things. So little things that would have would have or could have you know wouldn't have kept me from sailing, but would have you know kept me from using the motor. Uh, things like that. A uh, couple lines that I, I opted to change you know, proactively. So I ordered some some uh, lines from New England Ropes and had them you know, shipped to Carrie, and she brought them out to me. Yeah, but yeah, nothing broke. Knock on wood. Oh, nice, nice. And let me ask you another question. So, when particularly when you're solo and you're saying, "Okay, I'm 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 going to go from from uh, Mystic and I'm want to work my way up to uh, Buzzards Bay," uh, how many mile? What was sort of your uh, how many miles am, am I going to do a day? Sort of. How did you make those sort of decisions? How do you make your weather decisions? When when was like a, okay, nope, this is the weather. I'm not going. If it's if it's above this, I'm staying put. If it's below this, I'm going. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, and and I learned as I went along, you know, what my comfort, you know, comfort range was. Yeah. Um, I had a saying that I follow when I'm on the boat, whether I'm solo or not. And that's um, wind, weather, and whim. Sort of in that order, or maybe it's weather, yeah. wind, whim in that order. So you know, if, if, the, if the, the weather's not good, you don't go. If the wind is you know, too strong or not enough, well, that changes your plan. And then the third thing is, where do you want to go? So you don't pick where you want to go and then, <laughs> and then worry about the other two. Even though I had sort of a general uh, general plan, um, I realized that it's nicer to have a destination that's not too far. It's rather that it's better to have one that's too close, and then just sail a little bit. So I I found like in, in Narragansett Bay, it's great sailing. You know, I wouldn't have to take the quickest way to get from uh, from Warwick to to Battleship Cove. Um, you know, I can sail around. So I I. I'd like to be sailing for maybe five hours, six hours max. I mean, a couple of days were longer than that, but I just found, you know, if I leave at nine and I pull in and I'm on the, you know, on the hook at two or maybe two thirty, you know, that's a great day for me. I can go down and have a nice nap, <laughs> read my book, you know, you know, clean up and go shopping and uh, cook a nice dinner and go to bed yeah. early. That, yeah. that was my, that was my sweet spot. I found you know, it was uh, you know five to six hours solo is was was plenty for me. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I think the other piece that that gives you is that if for some reason you are delayed, or you know you break down, or you know things go slower, you're running four knots instead of five and a half. Yeah, you're you're not getting in into dark, right? You're you have that buffer on the back end sure. of 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 your planning, which I think is really important. Uh, to have that buffer, particularly on the back end, because if you go slower or you run into some problems or something, you're not then, oh my gosh, I got to get to the harbor. I got to get to the meeting before they close, or I got to I got to rush to get somewhere because a weather front's going to come through at six o'clock. <laughs> and right. I thought I was going to get in at three, but now it looks like I'm getting in at five thirty. <laughs> so you know, it. it uh, I think that buffer on the back end is really, really key. Yeah. So later on, I mean, two times in my uh, my trip, I had a buddy along with me uh, for a few days on each each time, and then I found I could do longer. longer yeah, sure. Than somebody to take the wheel. Yeah, and just yeah. it 
can just physically, mentally, I could just go, I could relax for an hour or two. And that made, made all the difference. So then I could do, you know, 30 plus mile days, nautical mile days, you know, sailing were fine. Or when we were motoring, coming up the Hudson and the Champlain Canal later on, you know, we did 60 miles. It was, it was typical for our days. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I like, I like to do when I'm, particularly when I'm planning these longer legs is I sort of think about the bailout points along the way. So if, if the weather pipes up more than I'm comfortable with, you know, let's say I'm planning a 50 mile day, you know, is there some place at 10 or 20 miles I can bail out or 30 miles I can bail out uh, and kind of have that, have the root sheet for that all sort of planned out as well. Because if you're bailing out, that probably means things are not going great. (laughs) Right. So that's the other thing that I, I often I often kind of plan out in advance. Yeah, uh, a couple. You know, my plan B or my in a couple of places I just had to motor. You know, one or two days the the wind was just you know small craft warnings, you know, like a knucklehead. I said, oh, you know, fifteen to twenty knots small craft warnings. It can't be that bad. Well, it was that bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so just uh, I opt to drop the sails and just put the big diesel to work and get to where I needed to go. Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've made it up to Buzzard's Bay. Did you end up going through the canal? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was a learning experience. So I had read lots about the Cape Cod Canal. It's very well documented in Eldridge about the, the tides and currents. And again, the current can whip through there at a good you know, four plus knots on any given day. And you definitely have to time it because uh, the currents and the waves particularly on both ends of the canal um, can be interesting. <laughs> so I had timed the current just right. Um, and it was a, a strong current at that time. So, you know, there's and there's a speed limit on the on the Cape Cod Canal as well. So I was going just under the speed limit <laughs> and uh but what i did not check was the uh was the wind even though it wasn't terribly windy the wind was coming directly on the current so when i exited the canal it was at the maximum current and the wind was up at that point in the day and uh, i met some you know the highest highest standing waves that i'd seen in a long time <laughs> or maybe ever uh, exiting the canal, uh, you know, so, so, uh, maybe I'm just getting seven, eight feet where my little boat was just, you know, riding up these things and crashing down. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not a lot of fun. And frankly, when we got to uh, the Marina up at in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and we pulled in and, uh, the dock master said, wow, I'm sort of surprised to see you. I didn't think it, you'd be coming through the canal on a day like today. <laughs> and sure enough there weren't any other boats going through the canal that day uh, yeah here again I, I, i'm very differently on the way back now i'm a pro at the cape god canal <laughs> yeah well we talked about the notion of these tidal currents and you know the races the canal a lot of these uh entrances into harbors uh, you, you got to think about that stuff, and and it's not and as you just experienced, not just the flow of the of the water, but also the flow of the air across the water. Yeah. yeah so um, I kept reminding myself, you know, take it easy. Don't 
don't get mad at yourself. You know, you're a rookie at this, really. So, so that was a that was a mistake. Yeah. You know, on the way back, I hit the you know because I had the same wind situation. I made made sure when I exited the canal, it was at slack tide. You know, nothing. You know, not right in the middle of the of the tide. Max flow. Yeah. Excellent. And so Plymouth, and then where where to from Plymouth? Um, Plymouth um, up to Situate, another fabulous, you know, little uh, on the South Shore, Boston, a great little, uh, great marina, beautiful boats, wonderful, wonderful little town. And then from Situate, a long sail uh, across Cape Cod you know, Bay, across Boston, you know, Boston in the distance, um, and pulling into Marblehead, another epic little sailing sailing harbor um unfortunately at this time i think if you recall in the spring we had the the forest fires in canada making you know the, the adding a lot of haze to the atmosphere so it was i could barely see see boston through the through the haze wow uh, yeah great sail across to, to marblehead and then from marblehead up to gloucester and that's when my my buddy got off the boat in Gloucester, and then we had uh, three bad days of weather in Gloucester. So I just uh, stayed right on the mooring in in the inner harbor in Gloucester, you know, hunkered down. So Carter, you made it up to Gloucester, I think it was, or was it more Gloucester was the furthest north you went? Yes. Okay, and then you sort of turned around and start heading uh, south, and eventually up to Lake Champlain. So let's pick it up from there. Yeah, so I sort of broke my trip into into two parts. You know, the, the the first part was getting to know the boat, you know, and exploring Narragansett Bay and Buzzards Bay, um, Cape Cod Bay, South Shore, North Shore, Boston, and then part two was uh, you know heading home. So it's sort of a different mindset for me, and I was solo during this part of the trip. So uh, I knew I needed to be in in New York City in about ten days. I sort of you know, broke that trip down you know, into chunks, and uh, and sailed off. So I just I felt different during this part of the trip. I mean, uh, I mean, I had to put miles, you know, under the keel to get to where I needed to be, but I felt pretty confident. Um, and it was really nice pulling back into many of the same harbors I had pulled into on the way north. So I knew my way into. Uh, to Marion, I knew my way into uh, Padnerum and and uh, into Westport, Massachusetts, and uh, and I pulled into Stonington, um, Mystic. You know, it was great. Um, and I had great great winds, uh, really nice nice weather uh, for for most of that trip. Uh, as I got down uh, further down Long Island Sound, I d did have a spate of some really strong winds again. Uh, with with um, you know, following seas and probably the the most white knuckle sailing I had had the whole trip, where you know basically I'm uh, on a you know, one furled furled Genoa, and I'm still doing you know seven knots and big big waves behind me, and I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm strapped in. I even put the hatches in the companionway because the boat was uh, you know going left you know going left and right sideways you know 25 degrees as well as cruising up and down these waves and i was the only boat out there i mean i i, I was listening to some radio chatter of some of the fishermen 
you know, saying, uh, you know, it's supposed to be two to threes out here and it's four to fives. And, um, and when, you know, if there's a four to five foot, that's the, the regular waves every once in a while, you'll get something a lot bigger than that. So that felt good to pull into Stamford, uh, to Yacht Haven in, in Stamford, Connecticut. And um, I, I stayed an extra day there to, to rest and wait, wait for that weather to go through. Um, my daughter actually came, lives in New York City, came up and joined me for a sail from Stanford into, into uh, City Island. And we stayed at the City Island Yacht Club, a real old-fashioned, funky, great yacht club, real friendly people. And we stayed there for a couple days and, and enjoyed City Island. And then uh, another buddy, uh, Terry Haas, who's a ski patrol buddy of ours, joined me for the, the trek up the Hudson and up the Champlain Canal. Yeah. So you went went through uh, Hell's Gate, the East River, around yep. the south tip of Manhattan. Uh, yeah. I hope it wasn't smoky and you had a good view. Yeah, we had a pretty well. What happened then was the the, the rains of late June, uh, uh, if you recall, it rained for a week and rained hard and thunderstorms and um, yeah, so the weather was not great and no wind, just rain. But the, the trek down through Hellgate you know, uh, was terrific. If my daughter, you know, with a the horn on shore as, as we cruised by, and that was really nice. And uh, the, the trek up the Hudson was great. I mean, there was a lot of debris in the river from those rains. Several of the creeks coming into the Hudson had, you know, overflown their banks. So there, we had to be pretty vigilant, uh, you know, looking for tree trunks and, and yeah. various things floating in the river. Yeah. I got to I got to uh, talking about the East River and Hell's Gate. It it sort of reminds me of uh the first time I went through there uh, and subsequent times was probably the most stress stress is maybe the wrong word, but sensory overload yeah. that I've ever had because there's there's high speed ferry boats, there's barges, <laughs> there's pleasure boats. There's tugboats, there's helicopters flying around, there's <laughs> airplanes, there's police boats. It was it was just yeah. so much stuff going on. It I found it just, you know, sensory overload. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was just second time through is a little better, of course, right? The first time is always a challenge with many of these things. Sure. And and it and it's it gets real wavy in there because of all the boat traffic. And yeah. and there's seawalls on both sides, so the waves just kind of bounce around like a pinball going back and forth through there. And you're trying to move over for a big freighter coming or something or a barge. Oh God, I found yeah. it to be really and now challenging. We have AIS, which yes. you know, sends an alarm off anytime you're, you're in a path of another boat, so the alarms are are going off. Um, it's funny. So in City Island, you know, we spent a couple of days there. And uh, everybody you talk to, you know, they ask, where are you from? Where are you going? Everybody has a different opinion about Hellgate, <laughs> <laughs> about when you should go, when you definitely shouldn't go. And it was pretty funny at the end. We were, you know, I, if I wrote, if I took everybody's advice, we never would have gone. <laughs> right. But yeah, right. it turned out to be actually pretty benign when we went through. Um, and if you look at Eldridge, and you can study it uh, based on the phase of the moon. The current through Hell, Hellgate can it varies dramatically. So we yeah. hit it at the at the at the right time. There wasn't a ton of current, and and we hit it right at max flow. Uh, and actually, it was great. We made really good time. And uh, other than the ferries, 
uh, and our and are craning our necks, looking at all the sites. You know, yeah. it, it was fine. So from City Island uh, down through the East River, up around the tip of Manhattan, heading up the Hudson River, where was your first stop after City Island? It was about sixty miles away, and it was called Haverstraw. Oh, okay. So it's a nice marina. It's a safe harbor marina. So um, they stayed open late for us because we run. You know, the, the currents weren't perfect, but after a while, um, they, they turned, and you know, so we pulled into Haverstraw all around six o'clock, and they very nicely stayed open, so we could get uh, fuel and a pump out and. Oh, nice. Flip there and then headed out the early the next morning for a marina called Hoppo-Nose, which is south of Albany. And uh, then early the next morning, they took the mast down at yeah. Hoppo-Nose. Yeah. So uh, what were sort of, in addition to the, because of all the rain, the, the floating debris in the Hudson River, what were some of the other challenges you found uh, going up the Hudson River? Well, for us in particular, we're watching the, the radar for lightning. <laughs> you know, there were there were thunderstorms and, and lightning on both sides, on the Catskill side and over on the Berkshire side of things. Um, there wasn't a lot of uh, a, a lot of traffic, so uh, it was really just you know it was really a, a wonderful trip. Yeah, yeah, and you go by West Point there. And and you and you go by some again some really sort of classic towns and villages with personality and big mansions sitting out looking over the Hudson River. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Of, it was nice to, it, because I had a buddy along who loved to uh, take the helm. You know, allowed me to you know, read uh, little you know do Wikipedia and read about the history of the. You know of the different buildings or mansions or colleges um you know along the way i had read a book earlier in the year about the sloops of the hudson when uh it, when sailboats moved the the cargo up and down the hudson you know, based on the wind and largely the current and it was you know just interesting to see the different harbors that they would pull into and and leave from yeah yeah, nice. So you got your mask down, and the reason you got to take the mask down is because going up through the canals, whether it's the Erie Canal and you're heading out to the Great Lakes, or you're going up the Champlain Canal up to Lake Champlain, the bridges are low. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't work for sailboats. So you got to take your mask down. So how how did how did that go? Um, it it went uh, went pretty well. I mean, it, it's a little stressful the first time you do it. Uh, we had to scramble around and, and build the, the, the stands for the boat. So, you know, they have lumber you can can buy and uh, some tools you can use and some, you know, good advice. So, you know, once the mast was down and on and on the on the boat and strapped down, um, we took off around 11 a.m. to try to, you know, make our next destination. So, um, yeah stressful but it's really just the stress of watching it done <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that that was next destination troy uh actually it was a, a marina just south of albany oh okay um i think shady harbor and then uh, we could set out bright and early pick up fuel at the albany yacht club and make the troy lock the federal lock in troy yeah. around 11 a.m yeah. And we made good time and made it up to Stillwater, New York. So I went through about four of the 11 locks. 
uh, so, on the, the first day. So was this the first time that you had gone through some locks? Yes. So talk about that experience. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, there are great YouTubes on it. So, uh, you know, and I approached it with, you know, eyes wide open and with a, a buddy who hadn't done it either, but uh, we, uh, we took it real slow. Um, so, you know, after the, 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 second, the second time, it sort of became, uh, you know, a lot simpler. Um, yeah, you uh, approach it real slow. I mean, the currents are crazy. <laughs> you uh, put on rubber gloves. Um, you uh, put on, if you have covers for your fenders, you put on old covers on the fenders. And um, yeah, it worked out, worked out pretty well, actually. Yeah. I think of, of all the times, I only had only one miscue where I where we didn't hit it right and the current pushed us off the wall and we had to back up and try again. Um, yeah. Did you did you make like a fender board? You know, I, I have one on board and I didn't end up using it. I didn't find that we needed to use it. Got it. Got it. And in the beginning, when you're entering, right, you're going up for the first uh, so many locks. Yeah. And and then and then you're after after a while the next set of locks you're going yep. down you're going down <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so what's the difference I mean uh, uh, were there challenges with one versus the other or are they pretty much the same and you just one of them you bring it in line the other one you're letting line out yeah I would say it, yeah it's it's pretty similar got it uh, yeah you you basically uh, yeah you're grabbing uh, grabbing hold of these real slimy lines whether you're whether the, the the water level is going up or going down, um, yeah, it was just two of us. It might have been nice to have a third person, but you know, we were fine with it. Um, what was interesting is uh, on the second day, halfway through, we we came up to a lock, and there were literally ten boats clustered before the lock and um we couldn't pick up anything on the radio from the the the, um, the lock tender fellow so we we found a place to tie up and and talking to other boaters it turns out that there was a an oil spill in one of the locks and uh the canal was closed <laughs> and they were waiting for the environmental protection people uh, to come in and uh when when's it supposed to open they said there's no eta <laughs> so um it did, did end up opening a few hours later but the big difference was now we were going into the locks that were absolutely packed people on both sides you know uh you know by my mask just 55 feet long so and and other sailboats you know similar so i mean we had you know masts overlapping in the in the you know while you're in the canal that was pretty hairy for the, the last three locks we were definitely on our toes is not what we bargained for but we got everybody was nice and friendly um you know a lot of the power boaters want to get ahead of you uh so you know they try to squeeze through <laughs> as you're exiting the locks um didn't make any difference because the canal the canal wants to keep you all together as a group of boats anyway but that was pretty interesting
Yeah. So you break out of the canal and uh, you're into Lake Champlain. Yeah. I yeah, pulled into Chipman's Point Marina. Uh, again, like Hoppano's, one of their main businesses is helping sailboats. And uh, I stayed a couple days at Chipman's. I uh, ran some new halyards in the mast while the mast was down. And they were re really good at helping me do, do that. Um, put the mast up. Uh, took a day off, <laughs> spent 4th of July at home. And then on July 5th, uh, took the boat up uh, Lake Champlain, up to Willsboro Bay. And, and that's now home, right? Yeah, that's that's home for the for the time being. Yeah, it's wonderful up there. Yeah, super, super. Yeah, I've done a lot of sailing on Champlain. It's a it's a great lake uh, to sail on. And and people don't realize it. You know, it it's it's like three times longer than Narragansett Bay. <laughs> yeah, you can go a long way. <laughs> you can go a long way. Um, yeah. yeah, but it is sort of narrow, and the wind, as you as you know, the wind either, like Narragansett Bay, it usually blows out of the north or blows out of the south. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, super. Hey, so while we start thinking about wrapping this up, uh, if if someone listening to this and they say, "Hey, I'd like I'd like to try something like this," uh, you know, make a nice big circle from someplace in Long Island Sound up through Boston back around maybe through new york city maybe not all the way up to champlain but you know into new york city or south of new york city what sort of two or three pieces of advice would you give them um yeah it's well it, it's it's a great area to sail um so go for it i guess um it can get crowded like winter in the bvi uh it can get crowded so have your 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 trip planning done and know where you're gonna know where you're gonna uh, spend the night. Um, many of these harbors are, are 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 completely different than others. You know, some are real mellow. I'll call them more more working harbors or you know more motor boats, and others are real sailboat harbors. Um, that's they're all good, but um, very different vibe uh from harbor to harbor so uh, you know do your you know do your research depending on what you want to do um some have great provisioning stores and chandleries and others don't so um you know that that type of planning is is important um yeah get and get eldridge and know how know how to use eldridge uh real well. yeah yeah so in in addition to eldridge what other resources did you find were the best for helping you plan this trip uh, there are you know, certainly a variety of of blogs and um, yeah, some U YouTube videos that that were great. Um, I'm a member of the Saber uh, forum, you know, it's the Yahoo groups uh, with with great advice and uh, of like-minded sailors, you know, on similar sized boats. So that that was a very comforting to be able to to rely on on their wisdom. Uh, I like paper charts. And it's pretty tough to find paper charts these days. <laughs> so I, uh, one of my uh, rituals would be uh, every evening be with a cup of tea, I would sit down and spread the paper chart over the, uh, you know, the, the salon table and get my dividers out. And I'd have my uh, predict wind application up and I would do my, my, my route planning. 
but I like to do it looking at the big chart where I can see every, you know, my whole day's journey on two to three feet rather than looking at a little Navionics app on an you know, 11 inch screen. Um, that, that was a very comforting to me again, to have paper backup, but also just that's, that's the way I like to visualize my, my route. Yeah. I, man, I, a amen to what you just said. There, I, I find there's nothing better than rolling out a chart on the table and and being able to get the big picture. And because you know, like I said, when you when you zoom in or zoom out on an 11 or 12 inch screen, man, you're missing stuff. Yeah. And and uh, I I have chart books, which are okay, but you know I'm constantly flipping pages because that's only you know, 15 inches by 15 inches or what 20 inches or by 20, whatever it is. But those nice big three feet by three foot charts, uh, I, I I don't have any, except yeah. I have chart books, but I don't have any of those old fashioned roll up paper charts uh, for any of the Long Island Sound. I used to have a bunch of them for, uh, for, par for parts of Long Island Sound, but yeah. Unfortunately, I, I got rid of all of them. Yeah. I didn't have a boat for a long boat, period of time. Yeah, my boat came with uh, with the, with a huge set of charts and uh, yeah. that was great. Another thing I would just you know in, encourage folks is you have to turn off the chart plotter, turn off the the auto helm and and sail the boat and um and and look around. Uh there, there's so much history to those, to those harbors and those areas, um, you know, shipwrecks, famous shipwrecks, famous hurricanes, famous blizzards. Um, so all around you and under you, you know, there are you know, centuries of history. So um, that's yeah. one thing I did, and I'm, and I'm still doing. I did it before the trip, during the trip, and now I'm still doing is reading about about the area, about the harbors and the storms and in the lore yeah yeah if, if you like history and you like that kind of stuff boy what a what a rich environment to sail in absolutely super, super. hey that's a great way to end this uh, carter uh thank you very much for being on the podcast again oh, sure uh you were a great guest i really really enjoyed our conversation and uh catching up and uh i'll see you soon on the slopes at gore mountain awesome yeah looking forward to it thanks Bela, interesting interview. Again, part two is just as interesting as part one. And it seems to me like you made a really interesting jump from chartering to boat ownership. And that first trip sounded great. What were your major takeaways from this uh, this kind of uh, the story that, that Carter did from um, chartering to, to owning a boy's own boat? Yeah, you know, so I've known Carter for probably 15 years or so. Uh, we're both on the ski patrol at Gore. And uh Carter is one of those individuals when he decides to do something, he jumps in head first. Uh, he dives right in and he certainly dove into the sailing pond, so to speak. And uh, so I thought that was great. Uh, and I think here the takeaways from my conversation with him are it, it, it really struck me that what a great sailing destinations, sort of Long Island Sound, Block Island Sound, Narragansett Bay, Buzzards Bay, sort of up the coast near Boston. Uh, what great sailing grounds that really is. It's I think it's one of the best in the country. And oftentimes it's overlooked, I think. And, you know, there's so many different places to explore. Uh, you can do this in sort of short hops. It's not like you got to go sail for 48 hours straight to go from Anchorage to Anchorage. 
Uh, it's really nice. A lot of great facilities, a uh, lot of great attractions uh, in and around where you're going to keep your boat, either at a marina or whether you're going to anchor. Uh, there's great places on land to explore. And so to me, that was one of the big takeaways. Man, this this New England section of the of the East Coast of the United States really is a great, great place to explore and sail in. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, I thought Carter's description of solo sailing was really interesting and kind of the prep and the organization that he went through. You know, there's always risks of this and special preparation and preventive maintenance. And we've done a few podcasts where you talked about solo sailing. Um, would you consider taking a longer trip like this on your own? Uh, probably not, because I, I, I don't know how to. When you say longer trip, I could do a day trip, and mm -hmm. I've done day trips on my on own. On your own, yeah. But I, I would not do an overnight on my own. No. And I, I know my, I know myself. I know my body. I need my sleep, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not gonna, you know. There's plenty of solo sailors who go on, you know, week long trips by themselves. There's solo sailors who've sailed around the world <laughs> nonstop, um, but that's not for me. So I know what my limitations are. Um, um, I need, I need my sleep, and it's just too dangerous. Uh, I, from my perspective, from the risk I'm willing to take. Um, other people, different, different things. They have different risk levels than I do. Um, however, you know, I, I, what, the thing that struck me about Carter is, uh, you know, he is a, he's an engineer slash it person and, and, uh, but he was very methodical in his preparation. And I think there's a real yeah. lesson there, right? He talked about making, prepping his meals before he goes, right? So when he has to go down below to, to mm -hmm. get something, it's just go down there and get it and bring it back up. Because mm -hmm. New England is busy. There's a there's there's a lot of traffic out there, right? It's not like driving a car. There's not that much traffic, but you can probably almost always see another boat, and sometimes the other boats are big tankers, <laughs> and you don't realize they're going 25 knots. They're going really fast, and uh, so I think his diligence his, and his preparation it, it was was a key takeaway for me that he he really thought that through. He was super well organized. He knew where he was going. He knew what the tides and currents were going to be because that plays a role uh, up here in New England. There's some narrower passages you have to go through. And if you're going in the wrong direction against the tide or the wind, it's going to take you a while. And, and so he sort of had all that stuff well thought out and well prepped. And, and I'll tell you, and I, I can't remember if Carter and I talked about this or not, but you know, when, when I do things, I typically plan for about four hours of sailing. Now, if I'm doing a long passage with other people, it's a different thing. But if if it's the kids and I or Elaine and I or even myself, I'm going to go from point A to point B. And I say to myself, OK, that should take me four hours. So if it takes me six or seven or even eight, I'm not in trouble. I'm not I'm not pulling in at night or in the dark. So uh, that's to the safety factor that I build in, uh, that I, I, I'm, I'm pretty rigid about, um, because stuff can happen. And, and we've seen that in some other episodes, uh, you know, I think with Simon and his son Sawyer, when, when they were pulling into France, right. They, the, when, when they were leaving the dock, they had planned out a long day sail and then they left late because they had engine trouble. And then the winds and currents were different because they were late time-wise and it and they were pulling in in the dark <laughs> into a place they'd never been before 
So you, you got to build buffer in, um, particularly on the back end. Uh, and and I and I think you know Carter did a great job at that and sort of thinking all that through and uh, really really uh, planning things well. Yeah, I totally agree. These are great takeaways. What do you think? Should we wrap it up? Sounds good, Mike. Yeah. Well, it was a great to see Carter again on the podcast. And hopefully we have more adventures uh, from him again soon. And listeners, thanks for joining us uh, in yet another episode. And we hope that you found our con conversation interesting and thought-provoking. If you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting application. And if you know someone that would be a good guest on the show, or if you think you'd be a good guest on the show, uh, reach out to us at that email address, and uh, maybe we'll have you as a guest. So signing off from snowy upstate New York. Uh, see you all soon. And from over here in Münster, Germany, see you next time.